draw your attention now to the cup. Down through the centuries, many have sought to identify and acquire that which is precious to them. Some have treasured things only to have them stolen or slowly lose their value. Some have erred in attributing value to things that shouldn't have been attributed value to, like Beanie Baby collections, thinking that would certainly give them a good investment in their money. Monies have even been valued differently over time, if you think about it. I mean, look back at the Confederate money and ask how much that is worth today. Gold and silver even have their ups and downs. What is really valuable? Let's face it, there are not many things that we would call precious that will endure forever, but there is one thing that will. Open with me to 1 Peter as we conclude our focus now. 1 Peter chapter 1, and read with me verse 18. Here's something valuable. Here's something precious. Verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 1. For as much as you know, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's valuable. And notice he places it in the categories of not gold and silver. Those are perishable things. This is imperishable. This has real value. Hebrews 10 verse 19, even as we prepare for the cup, I'm reminded of when it says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. That's pretty precious to me. Hebrews 13 verse 12 says, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. I could have used Hebrews to make my point, but I want to go to the book of Romans. Because Paul, in particular, celebrates the manifold grace that is given to us by the blood of Christ. And in one sense, we can connect the blood of Christ to every divine grace that comes to us. But several times, Paul explicitly tells us the value of this blood. He says, first of all, propitiation by the blood. What is propitiation? Propitiation refers to the removal of God's righteous wrath. Notice what Paul says in the book of Romans in chapter 3, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Because God is just, the sins of his people are no small obstacle to God. In his kindness and grace, God has chosen to love us, but in his justice and holiness, God cannot overlook our sin. Sin is an act of cosmic treason against God. And so in his love, God satisfies his own just wrath through the triumph of mercy. People who live without the Bible all have one thing in common. They try, as they can, to turn away or assuage the wrath of their false gods. In some remote countries, they will do crazy things. Sometimes they'll walk across fire, they'll cut themselves, they'll deny themselves basic necessities. Why are they doing this? They are doing this because they are hoping that through their pain and sacrifice, somehow their false God won't be angry with them. As one preacher put it, Christianity is distinguished from paganism 
by representing God as appeasing his own wrath and satisfying his own justice by the forth putting of his own love and the shedding of his blood on the cross. That's propitiation by the blood. But it's also justification by the blood. This is an extension of God's full acceptance. If you're in the book of Romans, you'll see in chapter 5, verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Justified is courtroom language. You are justified. If you could get with me in a time machine right now and go back to 1510, we would find a man on his knees at the Scala Sancta in Rome. The Scala Sancta is the famous stairway that is said to be the stairs upon which Pilate stood when Jesus was being tried. If you were with me in that time machine in 1510, you would find a particular man crawling up the 28 stairs of the Scala Sancta on his knees. And at every stair, he would stop and pray a prayer which began, Our Father. He was doing penance. He was seeking penance for his sin. And as he painfully climbed the stairway, there, was, there can be no denying his sincerity. He was desiring peace with God. He wanted, above all else, to be justified. He wanted to be assured that he was in standing before God in God's holy courtroom and he would be tried as justified. And so he crawled up those stairs on that day. And when he reached the final step as he did so to assess his progress, his conclusion, if you could see his eyes, would be filled with despair. He had climbed, but nothing had worked. He had said all those our fathers, and he had wrote them out perfectly, but it would not save him. If you could follow that man back to his home, you would find him reading, likely in Latin, because that's the only copy of the Bible he could get his hands on at that time, and studying out the book of Romans, and you would find him come to a verse that would forever change his life. Romans 1, verse 17. The just shall live by faith. The man on the top of the stairs in 1510 heard the Spirit of God through the Word of God, and his name is Martin Luther. And he would stand up on his, off of his knees, a radically changed man, not because he worked his way up steps, but because of the blood of Christ Amen. and redemption by the blood. Come now to me to Ephesians, another of Paul's letters. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, we read this, because this is referring to the purchasing of your forgiveness. Ephesians 1, verse 17, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. If you want, you can turn back with me to an Old Testament book, the book of Leviticus in chapter 25. 
Because in Leviticus 25, in an obscure Old Testament passage, we see God's divine plan to pay a price. Here's what it says in Leviticus 25, verse 47. It says this, if a sojourner or a stranger wax rich by thee, and thy brother that dwelleth by him wax poor, and sell himself unto the stranger or sojourner by thee, or to the stock of the stranger's family, after that he is sold, he may be redeemed again, one of his brethren may redeem him. So in the Old Testament economy, you could become so impoverished that you knew you could never work your way out of it. You were just stuck. And so rather than dealing with a pauper's prison, you might sell yourself as a slave to someone else, if you can even imagine it. Basically, rather than putting a lien against your home, you're putting a lien against yourself. And the Word of God leaves, however, in those tragic situations, a place for redemption. You can be bought out of that. Here's what it says in Leviticus 25, verse 48. After that he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him, either his uncle or his uncle's sons or so on. And Leviticus 25 is introducing to us an Old Testament law regarding the buying and selling of slaves, actually. These people who willingly because they had gotten into debt, put themselves in this horrible situation. But a family member can purchase their freedom. And that family member was given a name. The name was Goel, a kinsman redeemer. And Leviticus is teaching that it is possible for a kinsman redeemer to be purchased purchasing someone out of the slave market of sin, a kinsman redeemer. Can you think of another Old Testament picture at this point that comes to your mind? Any kinsman redeemers that come to mind that buy up this terrible situation? Anybody thinking of anybody right now? Ruth! It comes from the Old Testament book of Ruth, right? In the case of Naomi, because of her husband, Emelimelech, and her two sons dying because all the male members of the family died, she lost all the houses and all the lands and all the possessions that she had. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, was forced to go around into the fields, remember? And Ruth and Naomi go, and they find a man named Boaz because he was one of their kinfolk. He was part of their family, and he had a legal right. He could do this. Because of Leviticus 25, he could purchase, he could be the Goel. He could purchase the right to take them out of poverty into prosperity. In the Old Testament, there were four conditions that he had to meet if he was going to be a Goel. He had to be a kinsman. He had to be a blood relative. He had to be acceptable to all the parties involved. Everybody had to agree to the terms. Remember, Boaz goes around and makes sure. He had to be able to pay the price. In other words, he can't himself say, well, I'll go into debt to take their debt. He had to pay the price. He had to pay it in full. And fourthly, he had to be willing. Friend, even so, you are a slave because of your sins. You are a slave to sin. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. John 1 verse 14 says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
Let me ask you, was he acceptable? Yes, he was acceptable. He was the God-man, acceptable to both God and man. Let me ask you, was he able? Oh, he was totally able, friend. To any who come to this blood-giving truth, they can receive salvation. Oh, he is able. Was he willing? Just look to the cross and you'll find an answer. And so the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled an Old Testament illustration of redemption. Through his blood, he is the Goel. He is the Redeemer. And following the trail of blood, if you will, in Paul's letters, we begin to see an ocean of grace that is reminded to me in the familiar chorus, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Friend, if the bread symbolizes the sacrifice of Christ, and it does, The cup also signifies that Christ's blood is the payment for all who come to believe. Friend, when we take this cup, we are remembering something. Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners. He propitiates, redeems, and justifies those who come to him. At this time, I think it'd be wise for us to remember our present condition. If you are saved Would you pause and reflect well as you take in this next element, say, God, thank you for saving my soul. If as you take this, you know of some that you have been praying for for maybe years, say, God, would you continue to allow me to be an instrument in my Redeemer's hands to lead them to Christ? God, would you take this time Reflect well and remember me. Our deacons are again moving, and they will again pass out the elements, this time the cup. Remember the Christ who died for all. Yes, his body was broken, but yes, also his blood was spilt. Even as they prepared themselves to distribute the elements, may we pray for the cup. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity now it is to take time and to distribute what it is we